Hello again, folks. It's Marty Ross, your local Aaron storyteller. Well, one of the one of the brightest and most successful days of my storytelling career came. Well, it was several years ago. I was out shopping uh, in the the great old street market we have across the water in Glasgow, the Barras. Now, in a one of the remoter recesses of the Barras, there was a fellow who had a an old second-hand book stall. Books piled high any old way, water dripping through the ceilings. A few of the few of the books were sort of buckling and warping at the corners with the damp. But nevertheless, um, in there I found a four-volume set of uh, uh, the great uh, set of uh, West Highland Tales, the great 19th-century folk tale collection by John Gregerson Campbell. And, of course, ever since then, it's been a great treasure trove to me. Uh, many, many traditional stories. Four volumes worth, as I say. Um, some stories that are very familiar. Some stories that are not familiar at all. Some stories that um, old fishermen were telling up in the West Highlands that actually had their roots, as so far as we can trace them, in the, the tears of the Arabian Nights, the 1001 Nights, transposed into a, a Scottish island setting. And anyway, and there were some stories in there that were frankly just downright as the best folk tales can so often be, just weird and surreal and fantastical for the sake of it. And I was just rereading uh, the fourth volume the other week and uh, there's a wonderfully strange, strange, bizarre story with some peculiar imagery in it. And I decided, well, I'll, I'll use that as the basis of my little storytelling session this time. So anyway, imagine it, imagine it, long ago, somewhere in Scotland. A grand laird, he had three daughters. Three daughters, and they were called Senga and Sue and Siobhan, the youngest of the three daughters. And well, growing up as the three daughters of a, a very grand laird, they had a very, very good upbringing. Everything was done for them. All the, all the luxuries of life were set straight before them. But you know, Senga and Sue and Siobhan, they'd read a few books and they, they thought to themselves, well, you know, all this easy living, it's all very well. But you know, it tells you in old books that um, to really know life, to really be a rounded person, you have to go out into the world and experience, well, hardship. Experience hardship in the world because that's a great teacher. That will make you a, a, a fully mature person who really understands how the world works. You can't really understand the world living in the midst of all this kind of luxury that we have here in Father's house. So the three of us, we should set out into the world out there. Leave behind Father's house and well, look for some hardship. See, see if the hardship can make rounded, mature, adult women of us, not just pampered girls. So Senga and Sue and Siobhan, they set off into the world. They uh, tie their little bags and put, attach them to the little, you know, some Dick Whittington type sticks that they carry over their shoulders. And they wander off along the highways and the byways of the West Highlands. And they travel many a day before they come to uh, a house, a house, uh, a big, quite a big fancy house at the side of the road. And they think to themselves, well, we'll, we'll volunteer for work. 
at that house. We won't introduce ourselves as uh, being the, the daughters of a grand laird further back down that road there. No, we'll say we, we want to be servants here. Because the life of a servant is a very hard life. And the hardship will teach us lessons about the way the world works. So anyway, they knock on the back door. They have to go to the servant's entrance, of course, and knock on the back door. Chap the door like that. The door opens there. The housekeeper, she drags them in and says, yes, what, 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 do you, what do you want? What do you want? And they say, well, we want to work here at this house. We are two young, three young women who have set out upon the byways of the world because we want to learn lessons about, you know, the harder side of life. The tough side of life that makes a, a real rounded, mature person of you. All right, says the housekeeper. There's a whole lot of dirty dishes in that sink. Off you go and wash the dirty dishes. And there is a pile, a heap, a mound, a great, a great listing pyramid of dirty dishes in the sink of the kitchen. Looks like nobody's been washing a dish for days. They're all clatty, all manky, all minging with bits of food sticking to the edge of them. Oh, so they, they, they get all the water in the sink and they get the, the soap powder, scrape off some soap flakes into the water and start washing. And wash... And wash and wash. There are so many dishes. Even with three of them attending to the job, it is exhausting work. And the steam is rising off the sink and making them all sweat. And their, their beautiful hairdos are going all lanky and matted. And the hair is hanging down across their faces. And, you know, and the smell, the smell of all the muck that's sort of ingrained in the plates and has to be scraped. Scraped, scraped off. Oh, the smell. And, and anyway, that di that heap, that mound, that listing pyramid of dirty dishes, it doesn't seem to be getting any smaller at all. The, the, you know, however many you put in the sink, however many they dry at the far end of the process, put away in the cupboards, there always seems to be more dirty dishes. But Senga, the elder sister, she says, Sisters, sisters, we must persevere. We left behind father's grand house because we wanted to come and experience the hardships of the world. To, to make, therefore, mature woman hardened by experience of herself. So come on, we must keep washing the dishes. But soon Siobhan, her two younger sisters, say, no, 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 this is, this is a bit um, smelly and steamy and it's not very nice. We'll, we'll go, we're going to find some other form of hardship, which isn't perhaps quite so hard as washing all these reeking, clatty old dishes. So while Senga begs them to stay with her and keeps on washing, 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 scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing the dishes, Sue and Siobhan, they climb out the back window of the kitchen and they hit the road. They continue on along the roads and the byways and the, the narrow, remote tracks of the West Highlands, looking for some other form of hardship. Leaving poor Senga behind to do all the dishwashing on her own. Well, she's committed to it. Senga wants to learn the truth about the hardships of the world, so she keeps scrubbing and scrubbing and clattering and clanking away at all those dirty dishes. Meanwhile, a, a day or so later, Sue and Siobhan, they come to another house at the other side of the road. Yes, a big, it's like an old kind of grey brick castle with, you know, turrets up the top and so forth. And they think, well, this will be, this will be a romantic place. Another romantic, old school sort of place to, to learn about the hardships of the world. So they go round the back door, round to the servant's entrance, knock on the door. Are, are you looking for any servants? And the butler of the castle, he drags them in. Yes, yes, we're always looking for servants. Come in, come in, quick, 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 quick. Slams the door behind them. 
All right, young lassies. Look at this great castle here. It's got 139 separate rooms and all kinds of winding corridors and stairways, spiral staircases connecting all these different rooms. And every stone floor, the length and breadth and height of this castle is all dirty. Dirty with muddy footprints and, uh, you know, people have been spitting on the floor and bits of food have got caught in the cracks between the brickwork and so on and so forth. And there's, of course, there's the castle hunting dogs who just do their business any old where. Uh, oh, it's a very messy stone floor wherever you look in this castle. You young lassies, here's some hardship for you, some educative hardship. I want you to scrub every stone floor. The length and breadth and height in this castle till the stone floors shine like marble. Oh dear, well, well, says Sue and Siobhan, we better go to the to the to the cupboard here, yes a mop bucket, yes a well, let's get to work and so they start start working, uh, scrubbing, scrubbing, mopping, 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 mopping away at the at the messy, mucky, frankly stinky floors of the castle. Working their way through it room by room. Passage by passage, corridor by corridor, spiralling steep staircase by spiralling steep staircase, and they never seem to come to the end of any of it. Oh, it's back-breaking to wipe the mop back and forth, back and forth, across these great stone, lumpish, uneven floors. And before long, young Siobhan, the youngest of the three sisters, she says, well, no, no, enough's enough. Enough's enough, Sue. I mean, uh, this is all very well. I mean, certainly there's hardship here, and I suppose in due course I might teach you something about really living in the world. But honestly, this is back-breaking work, and it's not much fun. There's not much variety to it. It's just one stone floor after another. I'm going to go out that back window there, creep out the back window and find some other form of hardship that will maybe be a bit more... Romantic and exciting and adventurous. No, 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 says Sue. Come on, look, I've still got um, I've still got uh, 93 floors to mop and wipe all the dirt out between the cracks of them. And so you must stay with me. You must stay with me and help me. Come on, I need the, I need the pail refilling. No, says Siobhan. I made my mind up. A cheerio, a good luck with the floors, but I'm going out the back window. This she does. Siobhan clambers out the back window, hits the road outside, continues on along the roadway, leaving poor Sue on her own to mop her weary brow and clonk, clonk the, 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 the mop back into the bucket one more time and splat, 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 clunky splat, mop, mop, mop away at the stone floors. Young Siobhan, meanwhile, continues on on along the, the, the trackless byways of the wild west highlands. And she goes on for days, on for days and nights, long days and cold nights. And she, she's, she's really set out into the real wastelands of the highlands, the, the areas where you can go for days and days across moor and through the hills and not see another soul, let alone a, a castle or a, or a house, like the castle and the house that she's left her two sisters at. But on she goes, on she goes, and oh, she's running out of food. She's eaten all the food in a little pack, and there's one misty, misty, misty night. She's making her way across a trackless moorland. No sign of anything in sight. Oh, it's so cold and frosty, and the ground so boggy and squelchy beneath her feet. The the, the, the peaty water bubbling and gurgling up about her ankles. Her, her, oh, her tights are, her, her tights are all soaking down at the bottom. Oh, brr, where can she shelter? There's nowhere to shelter. There's no, 
Oh, hold on. Hold on. What's that? Glowing there in the mist just ahead on the right. Little points of light glowing in the mist. Is it just marsh gas? Bursting into flame? No, no, no. She she squelches, squelches, squelches along the muddy, muddy, boggy track. And as she gets closer from the mist, there appears an old, old house. A rather rickety-looking house. A few, a few uh, slates loose on the grand turrets. And it looks very dark inside, except where here's where she's seeing the light. There are isolated little candle flames, single candles glowing behind the mullioned windows. And she thinks, well, maybe he'll find shelter. Maybe he'll find some hardship that's a bit romantic and adventurous. It's not like mopping the floors or washing the dishes. Yes, something to, to really make a mature woman of me. So she goes round to the back door, what she supposes is the, the, the servant's entrance. And she... Rap-a-tap-taps on the door. Rap-a-tap-tap. Chaps the door. Chaps the door. Chaps the door. No response. The house is utterly silent. She chaps the door. A slate falls off the roof. Whoop, whoop. She has to dodge to one side. Clatter. It hits the ground. Still, no one answers the door. So she thinks, well, I'll just... It is a cold night. I can't stay out here in the misty dark. I'll, I'll just risk... Turn in the door handle, see what happens if the door's unlocked. Click! The door is not locked. It creaks open. And she steps forth into the, the kitchen. The grand old kitchen of this grand old house. But nobody's been in there, it seems, for some time. Everything's covered in a thick layer of dust. Cobwebs everywhere. No dishes in the sink, they're all locked away in the cupboard, but just dust, just emptiness, emptiness and stillness. So she makes her way on, on, out of the kitchen and up the stairs and into the main hallway. Hello? Hello? Is anyone in here? Nothing answers but her own echoes. For the hallway likewise is utterly quiet and silent and desolate. Dust everywhere, cobwebs, spiders scurrying silently, silently from one end of their webs to the other. And yes, there are, strangely enough, there are icy little candles and little candle holders set here and there at a mullion window, but no sign of who might have lit those candles. It's as if, yes, someone was trying to beckon her in out of the mist with those lights, but there's no sign of anyone. So she checks the other rooms in the ground floor. Hello? Hello? Those other rooms are all empty and silent. Some of the some of the the furniture is covered in white dust sheets. There's a strange spectral appearance there in the gloomy light. Like hulking, hunched ghosts. But no, it's it's just just dust sheets draped over the furniture. And she creeps upstairs. Hello? Hello? She calls. No response. No sign of anyone. And she checks out the different rooms on the upper story of the house. Yeah. 
opens the creaky doors one by one, ventures into each room, and in each room, nothing. Stillness, silence, dust and cobwebs. Hello? Is no one here? Hello? She comes to the final door in that upper story. This door is a little bit more stiff, a little bit more stubborn, a bit yielding, so she pushes harder. It opens upon... Oh, this is a little bit different. This room is a rather grand room. It's, it's a little bit less dusty than the others. It's got finer furnishings. There are no dust sheets. It's a bedroom with a great four-poster bed. And in fact, is that a, a fire glowing there in the fireplace? As if it was waiting just for her. Oh, yes, yes, this is much, much nicer room than any of the other rooms they're in. But still, but still, like the other rooms, it's utterly silent. It is utterly still. It is utterly empty. But anyway, yes, it looks very comfortable. More comfortable than the other rooms. More comfortable, certainly, than the, 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 the misty, damp moor outside. So, well... Good enough shelter for the night, even if there's nowhere here to give me a no one here to give me a tough job. So she closes the door, click, and she warms herself before the fire. Oh yes, and there's even Oh look, there's even a little tree of sandwiches laid out. Oh nice sandwiches with um Highland cheddar. Mm, nice brown bread. A nice apple to crunch. And a little cordial even, and a little mug. Drinks at home. Yes, I'm feeling much more at home. I don't know who left this here, but uh, certainly uh, directly or indirectly is making me feel very much uh, at home. But anyway, it's late. It's very late at night, and before long that uh, great four-poster bed with its soft, warm covers looks very, very tempting. And so she says uh, she undresses down to her, puts on her nightgown and she, she climbs into the bed. Oh, after all these long, long days of tramping the roadways to be in a bed that is as luxuriant as perhaps even more luxuriant than the bed she left behind at her father's house. Well, this isn't exactly hardship. It's probably, as such, it's not going to teach her much about the ways of the world, but then it's lovely, oh, it's lovely to be pulling the, the warm covers of a warm bed up about her, oh, lovely, lovely, snuggly, oh, lovely, soft, soft pillow. And so she blows out the candle by the side of the bed, settles her head in the pillow, and starts to drift off to sleep. But then she's distracted, just as she's about to fall asleep, by a sound in the room. A sound like... Is that a, a creaky floorboard that she hears? Soft steps on a creaky floorboard. 
Was she wrong about the room being empty? Is there someone else in there with her? She, 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 raises her eyes just above the level of the blanket, peeks out at the room. Well, at first, of course, she's blown out the candle. All she can really see is the warm, ruddy glow there in the fireplace. She's kept the fire going in the hearth, of course, to keep the room warm. But there, at the edge of that warm, warm glow, his steps making the floorboards creak, there steps into view a figure. The figure of a man. <laughs> she ducks under the covers. It's a, it, it, it's a naked man. But hold on, hold on, folks. Please, uh, if we can just take a moment to pause here. Um, I'm going to have to clarify what I mean by naked. Um, you may sort of, you know, sort of roaming the internet, you may have uh, come here under a, a bit of a misunderstanding. This is not a story about the kind of naked man you might encounter elsewhere on the World Wide Web. This is a very particular kind of naked man. Because as uh, as she uh, peeks, peeks back up over the coverlet, takes another look at the slowly approaching figure. Yes, she sees, she confirms, yes, this is a bare naked man. But not naked in the more conventional sense. This man is naked because he has no skin. In other words, essentially what is stepping towards her is a skeleton. But not just a skeleton. This skeleton has eyeballs sticking out from the skull, from the sockets of the skull, and wound in around the, the bare bones of the ribcage and the other bones. There are red lengths of muscle and tissue. And indeed, through the through the, the gaps in the ribcage, you can see the, the, the pinkish the pinkish heaping of the internal organs. Yes, essentially, it's a it's a man, more with nothing more nor less than his skin removed. Imagine, imagine it's, it's like an image you might see um, cast in fiberglass, in a corner of an anatomist's laboratory, or indeed um, drawn or painted upon a chart, pinned to the wall in an anatomy class in Glasgow University or Edinburgh University or somewhere like that. My uncle Colin uh, was head of pathology at Edinburgh University, if you can believe. So he would have had, you know, images there in the wall or, yes, cast in fibreglass of, as it were, the human form. The male human form, but without its skin, with its bones, with its muscles, with its, uh, with its internal organs, with its eyeballs, yes, but without its skin. This is the kind of figure that is stepping towards her. And of course, as you can imagine, it's quite a fearful figure to have stepping towards you on creaky floorboards in an otherwise deserted house out on the misty moors. So, Siobhan, she scurries, scurries her way back under the bed, is all she can think to do. No chance of getting to the door. He's between her and the door. So she hides under the bedclothes and she, she huddles under there, shivering, shivering. She, 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 she feels the bottom end of the bedclothes being pulled up being pulled up and then a, a figure, that figure, clambering and snaking its way in under the bottom end of the bedclothes, 
crawling its way up under the bed close up just alongside her very close to her there in her nighty uh, crawling up 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 the length of the bed close up the length of the blanket the coverlet and then the head pops out the top end and Siobhan gasps and oh she gives another gasp because when the figure's head appears from the top end of the, the blanket and the coverlet and so forth, it's no longer a head that doesn't have any skin. Somehow miraculously it has regained its skin. It is in fact the head of a very handsome young man. A fine head of blonde hair. Beautiful blue eyes, of course, she's already seen the blue eyes, but they no longer now stare out of a, a naked a naked skull's eye sockets. They're surrounded by a rather handsome, smooth face. The smooth-skinned face of a very handsome young man. And, well, Siobhan doesn't really understand. He says, please, please, sorry. Sorry, sorry if I frightened you. Please, let me explain. Uh, this is how I'm supposed to look. I'm just a young man as you are a young woman. I'm just probably about the same age as you. I should look as well as, frankly, as, as bonny as you look, young lady. But here's the truth. A curse has been put upon me. Not so long ago, I was charmed, or very nearly charmed, all the way by a, a glistig. A glistig, one of the fairy folk that appeared in the form of a beautiful young red-haired woman with cascading red hair and a beautiful pale skin and lovely deep green eyes. And I thought she was a mortal woman and, well, she cast a charm over me and I fell for her and, oh, things were going very romantically between us until I noticed, until I chanced to look down past the, the bottom end of her dress, past the hem of her dress, and I saw that she had the, the hairy grey legs of a goat hooves and all and I realised oh she was not a mortal woman fit for falling in love with yes she was a glistig trying to put cast a supernatural spell on me and then whisk me off to the fairy kingdom and I would never get back to the world of mortal beings so I rejected her I rejected the glistig I told her get away from me get away from me you you foul supernatural demonic creature get away from me I'm not I'm not fooled by your your superficial beauty anymore get away get away from me my my true love will be a mortal woman, a real mortal woman of human flesh and bone. I don't want anything to do with the fairy folk. And the glaistic, she was so displeased at me for this that she cast a spell upon me. She put a curse upon me. And the curse as well as you saw there a moment ago. My skin vanished. My beautiful, handsome young man's skin and my, my hair, of course, my beautiful blonde hair went with it. That was all... That was all made to disappear, leaving me, as you saw, just a essentially a skeleton with eyeballs staring out and uh, rather unpleasant bits of uh, uh, red muscle and internal organs showing between the bones. A sight that, frankly, no, no, no beautiful young woman like yourself could ever fall in love with. But here's the thing. There was one way of breaking the Glaistig's curse, breaking the spell, and that was for... For me to fall in love with a mortal woman. And even more so for a, a mortal woman to fall in love with me. That might lift the curse. And look, see, I've got back my skin. I've got back my, my real appearance. But 
but I fear it will only be for one night, because the fact is, of course, I've only just met you. I can't really, truly love you. I mean, it's just, we've only met, you know, minutes ago, minutes ago. So it's not real, true, deep, heart's blood love. That's the only thing that could, that could banish the curse forevermore so it would never come back. Real, passionate, impassioned love from the very, very depths of the heart. I can't feel that because we've only just met, but I felt just enough love to get my skin back temporarily. And young Siobhan, who's keen to learn about the ways of the world, she says, well, yes, I'm seeing you in this form, not just as a skeleton with, uh, you know, bits of red tissue wound in and about. Well, I'd rather fancy you. Yes, um, so long as you look like this, well, yes, we could spend a nice warm and cosy night together. I don't mind that. Even if it's only for one night, at least I feel enough superficial love for you for that to happen. So they spend a very warm and cosy night together. We don't need to go into all the details. I mean, uh, nowadays, of course, you know, fairy tales are often uh, censored for, for an audience of children. Uh, but the old folk tales, they, were, they weren't afraid of a little bit of a, a rumpy-pumpy between the sheets. And that's what happens between uh, Siobhan and the handsome young man. But we'll, we'll draw a discreet veil. We'll draw, as it were, the curtains of our four-poster bed around the, the strict details of the scene. And then it comes to the next morning. Siobhan wakes up there in the arms of her love. And oh, oh dear, oh dear. You've lost your skin all over again. Mate. And he, he's lying there alongside her on the pillow. He's saying, yes, well, look, I, I did tell you. I mean, we've only just met. We've only spent one night together. We can't feel real deep heart's blood love for one another. So, you know, the curse was only lifted for one night. Now that night is gone. It's dawn. Look, my skin is gone again. Once again, here alongside you in the bed, I'm just a skeleton. A skeleton with a staring, boggling eyeball staring out of my skull and bits of... Oh, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't blame you for feeling a bit disgusted. Bits of a red muscle and so forth weaved in and about my ribs and my other bones. I'll, I'll get out of bed before I disgust you anymore. So I'm going to have to disappear for the day. I'm going to have to leave you here alone. Because I don't want you to be to see the, the full um, uh, uh, grossness of myself here in the bright broad daylight. So just stay here. Stay here in the room where you'll be safe. There's a key on the inside of the door. You lock that door. Now here's the thing. I have to warn you. While I'm away keeping out of sight uh, for the day, I'll disappear through. There's a secret door, you see, alongside the fireplace. Uh, uh, one of those panels that opens in the wall. While I'm away for the day... The glaistic might sense that you are here. That a young woman has ventured into the home of the of, of the young the young gentleman that she, she cast her spell upon. She may even sense that I, I lit a candle last night in every window and that I left out sandwiches for someone who might happen to come along. So lonely I was, so desperate for company, she might work out what I did. And if she worked out that it was a young woman who came in and ate the sandwiches and spent the night with me, this Glaistig will be very jealous. Glaistigs can be fearsome jealous. They think anyone's trying to steal away their mortal love. She will try and get into the room. If she gets into the room, she will do terrible things to you. So you must keep the door locked. Get up and, yes, yes, lock the door now. I'll go out through this, yes, there's a little panel in the wall. You don't need to worry about me, but you lock that door. 
and she'll try and get in. You must not open the door to her. And tonight, tonight, when the lights are a little softer, a little gentler on my general ghastliness, I will come back to you. We can perhaps spend another night together. So this is what he does. He steals out through the little panel alongside the fireplace, closes the panel. She has locked the door and says, well, she has nothing to do but sit around in the room all day. He said he'd, he'll bring her some food later that evening, so she's just sitting around staring at the window. But before long, she senses, what's that? What's that just outside the door? Just underneath the, underneath the, the bottom edge of the door. Something sniffing. Sniffing at the bottom edge of the door. Someone in there. Is someone in there? Who's that voice on the other side of the door? It's the voice in the glee stick. Is that someone in there? In there, in the room where I keep my kept man. Is that a lassie that I smell? Some bonny young lassie wants to steal him away from me. With the curse. Oh, after one night, I do not think so. Ah, I know he, I know he, he left last night. Some lights in the window. I know last night he left out some sandwiches. I can smell those too. Who is he tempted in? Just wait, just wait. Oh, wait till I get my hands on her. Wait till I get my hands on her. Rattle, rattle, rattle goes the door. Rattle, rattle, rattle goes the doorknob. Of course, the door is locked. The door does not give. Is someone in there? Is someone in there? Who is it? Who is that wee lassie who's got into that room? Open the door. Open the door, lassie. Let me see who you are. Of course, of course, Siobhan does not open that door. She does not unlock it at all. The door still locked tight. Scrape, scrape, scrape. Scrape, scrape, scrape. Go the glacistic's long, long fingernails and the panels of the door. Let me in, let me in, let me in. Let me in, let me in, let me in. Of course, Siobhan does not let her in. Rather, she's cowering fearfully back at the side of the bed. Let me in, let me in, let me in. Now bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang upon the door. The whole door is shaking. Let me in, let me in. The stick is in a fury now. Let me in, let me in, let me in. She scrapes and scrapes at the door. She thumps, she thumps, she thumps at the walls. Scraping, thumping, scraping, thumping. And then, well, inside, even inside the room, things start to shake and fall off the wall with the vibrations from the glazing assault on the other side. Paintings fall off the wall, clatter, crash. Brackets fall off the wall, clatter, crash. Bits of the furniture with the vibrations, just like an earthquake is going through the room. They fall over, they tumble over. What me in, what me in, what me in. It's like poltergeist, because things are now flying through the air. A uh, uh, candelabra, an ornament, fly through the air. She wants us to duck her head. Crash, crash, they smash against the wall on the other side of the room. Scream, 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 bang, bang, bang. Hammer, hammer, hammer. Thud, 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 let me in, let me in, let me in. Crash, bang, what thump. This goes on the whole day and it's deafening. Poor Siobhan has to stick her, stick her fingers in her ears. On it goes, crash, bang, wop. Absolute chaos, absolute tumult until finally. Finally, everything goes silent. Silence continues for long, long minutes, or is it perhaps a, an hour or two? But then the fire sparks into fresh life. The panel on the wall alongside it opens. In steps the young man. Well, he's not handsome, you know. He's still just a skeleton with staring, goggling eyes, eyeballs sticking out of his skull. 
bits of yes, red tissue, pink, red and pinkish tissue wound in and out among the bones. But Siobhan knows what to expect this time. And she lets him into the bed. He goes under the covers, tunnels under the covers. When his head pops up the other end, he has regained his skin. And his skin shines. There in the candlelight and the firelight shines as even brighter, more beautiful, more handsome than it shone the night before. Because, you know, a whole day has gone by and uh, he loves her even more than he loved her the night before when he loved her at first sight. She loves him even more than she loved him the night before um, when she loved him just at first sight. Of course, it's not. They've still only known one another for about 24 hours. So it's not real heart's blood, deep, deep, deep love. But it's love enough to be going on with. And they spent another warm and cosy night in the bed. And then, of course, in the morning, he, he's lost his skin all over again. He says, oh, please don't look at me in the daylight. Please don't look at my, 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 my bones. Please don't look at my exposed muscle and tissue and my internal organs rumbling away down here. Please don't look at that. I'll, I'll get out of sight. I'll go through the panel on the wall. But please, please beware. Beware, the same thing will happen again today. The glazing will come and she'll try and get in. You must not let her in. You must keep that door locked. Here, I've left some food for you. You'll, you'll be happy and you'll be safe here the whole day long. But don't let the glazing in. So he creeps out through the panel on the wall alongside the fireplace, closes the panel. And once again, Siobhan is left just sitting there. Sitting there the whole day. And again, the glazing comes to the door. The glazing comes to the door and she uh, scrapes and scrapes and scrapes and she hammers at the door and she thumps at the door. Let me in, let me in, let me in. Thump, thump, thump. It's like thunder, thunder crashing against the walls, crashing against the door, the, the door heaving and squeaking against its hinges, but the lock still holds. Uh, objects within the room, they fly through the air, they fly through the air, crash, bang, wallop, crash, bang, wallop, until finally the glazing gives up. Silence again. That night, the young man comes back. That night again, because of their ever-growing love, he gains his skin and his skin shines just a little bit more brilliant. And they're getting closer now, closer enough to tell one another their life stories. Of course, he's told her the story of the curse upon him, but he tells her about uh, the rest of his life as a handsome young laird before the curse was put upon him. And um, Siobhan tells uh, this young laird, she tells him the story of her, her adventures with her three sisters setting off in search of a, a, a hardship because hardship would teach them the ways of the world. Hardship would make a mature adult woman out of them where before they'd just been pampered girls. She tells him the whole story. And then the next morning, of course, his skin has vanished again. They still don't love one another quite enough. It's still quite a superficial acquaintance. They've only been together like 48 hours plus. Um, so he loses his skin once again. Again, he tells her, but I'm going through the pan on the wall. Here's some food. Uh, don't let the glazed again, though she hammers and scratches against the door. Don't let her in. So he disappears, closes the panel, and she waits there. She waits for the sound of that glazed scraping and rattling and thumping and hammering and thundering against the door and the walls. Let me in, let me in, let me in. Except that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen today. Because this Glaistig, well, she's not stupid. That previous night when uh, 
Siobhan told the handsome young lad, told him her life story, told him the story of her, her sister Senga and Sue and herself setting off and, uh, you know, Senga was set, um, set washing the dishes and Sue was set mopping the floors and so forth. The Glaistic heard all that. And the Glaistic has decided upon a more subtle plan of attack. Rather than attacking that day, she ventures down the road outside, across the moors, over the mountains... Uh, down the tracks until she gets to the, the castle where Sue was mopping the floor. Sue is still mopping the floor. All those rooms, she's still not got to the end of mopping mopping the grease and the grime and other other um unpleasant particles out the cracks in the stone floor. She's still heaving away and sweating away. Mop in the bucket. Squidge, squidge, squidge. Mop, mop, mop the floor. And the glazed climbs in the window and puts a spell on her. Puts a spell on a hypnotic spell. You will come with me. You will do what I tell you to do. You will say what I tell you to say. Come with me. And Sue is completely put under the spell, completely goggle-eyed and hypnotised. So she goes with the glazing. And the glazing goes further down the, down the road. Down towards that house where poor Senga still washing the dishes. She's, she's got through quite a lot of the dishes, but there's still some dishes heaped there and the and the washboard there, scrubbing all that manky grime and grease off them. And the glazed comes in the window, in the kitchen window, and puts a spell, a spell upon Senga. And she says to Senga, she says, you are under a spell too here like your sister Sue. You will do what I tell you to do. You will say what I tell you to say. And Senga, like Sue, is put completely under the spell. She has to comply. So the Glaistic, she goes back along the road with Senga and Sue in tow, trooping at her back. Powerless to resist the Glaistic's power. So they get back to the they get back to the house where Siobhan is all holed up. So rather than the glazing this time ineffectually hammering and thumping and clawing on the door or on the wall of the locked room, she tells Senga and Sue what to do. And Senga and Sue, completely under her power, they go to the door and they don't hammer, they don't scrape, they don't rattle, they don't scratch, they say, Sister, sister, are you in there? It's us. It's your sisters. It's Senga and Sue. Have we caught up with you at last? And Siobhan inside on the other side of the locked door, who's been expecting the, the tumult, the hammering, the thundering, the clawing, the scraping, the scratching, the general poltergeist activity that comes from the Glastig's assault. She's so relieved. What? Senga, Sue, is it really you? I, I thought you were washing dishes. I thought you were mopping the floors way back down the road. Oh, yes, yes, see Senga, see Sue. Seeing, at the end of the day, only what the Glaistic has told them to say. Under the hypnotic spell, you understand. They say, oh, yes, we did that. We did that, and we were... I finished all the dishes. And Sue here, she mopped all the floors, and we were warmly rewarded. At both households, we were given a, a rich wealth of treasures, much treasures we could carry, as much treasures we could put in our little knapsacks. And, you know, we, we wanted to share it with you, dear sister. So we, we wandered along the road. We, we heard from a few travellers where you'd gone. Oh, yes, you'd been spotted going into this house. Is that you in there? Yes, we, we thought we saw you up at the window. Well, we want to share with you the treasure. Please open the door and we'll share the treasure with you. 
Uh, well, well, says Siobhan, I'd love to see you again, dear sisters. It should be lovely to have a, a catch-up with you, but I'm, I was told not under any circumstances to, to unlock this door. There's a glaze to go out there somewhere. You ought to be careful, sisters. Uh, watch out if you see her coming for you. She's got, you know, hairy legs and goat's hooves uh, and green hair and uh, I, I hear tell and, you know, sort of pointy ears and, you know, oh, she's very frightening. You have to, long claws for scraping at this door. Can't you see the scratch marks on your side of the door? Uh, I'm not allowed to open the door. Oh dear, well, this rather stymies the plan. But the glaistic whispers, whispers another idea into the ears of the hypnotised Senga and Sue. And a few seconds later, Senga and Sue, they're saying, well, all right, all right, all right, dear sister. We understand you've got to be careful. You've got to be cautious. We wouldn't want you to fall into the the, 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 the long-nailed grasp of a glaistic either. You know, so, um, well, we can at least give you one little bit of this treasure. We've got here, here a lovely gold ring we'd love to give you the gold ring uh, can we slide it under the bottom of the door oh no no sorry dear sister the gap isn't quite big enough there at the bottom of the door could you tell you what tell you what it's rather a big keyhole why don't you slide your little pinky finger either hand will do slide your pinky finger out through the keyhole when we see it appear out through the keyhole, we will slide this lovely, lovely golden ring onto your little pinky finger and you can put it back in. At least you'll have that. Until we've sorted out matters with this, what, what do you call it, a glee stick or whatever her name is. Until we've sorted out those matters, well, you can at least have the gold ring. Oh, a gold ring, that would be nice. In fact, I could even, I could even if I got hold of a gold ring... I could present it to the young man, the young laird, when he appears tonight, when he gets his skin back. And you know, the only thing that would lift the curse forevermore would be a sign of the most absolute, true, heart's deep love between us. Not just superficial, you know, uh, a one night stand or two night stand love between us, but real heart's deep love. Well, what could be a better show of heart's deep love than for me to give him a ring? That might lift the curse forevermore. Yes, yes, um, the, 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 the gold ring I will take. What are, we, what are you saying? Slide my, yes, wait a minute. Just slide my pinky finger through the keyhole. It's a little bit tight, but I'll, I'll slide it all the way as far as I can. Uh, can you see my pinky sticking out now? Can you see? Uh, yes, yes, dear sister. We can see your pinky finger sticking out the keyhole on our side of the door where the hypnotised sisters have done their bit now. The Glaistig jumps forward. She pushes Senga to one side, pushes Sue to the other side. She has a little pin, a little pin, and she stabs the pin into the pinky finger of Siobhan, who cries out <gasps> and drags the pinky back through the keyhole, still with the, the pin the thin pin still stuck in her pinky finger and her blot of blood swearing around it and she she swoons she swoons and she falls to the floor falls to the floor in a deep deep death like trance or perhaps it might even be yes death itself and on the other side of the door, the glaistic cries out in evil triumph. <laughs> oh, I couldn't get through the door, could I? Well, I got you anyway. 
You're no taking my man away from me. You're not taking that handsome young laird away from me. He is mine forevermore, and you shall sleep like the dead. Come, Senga. Come, Sue. You will be my servants forevermore. Yes, you've been very useful to me today. I think I'll keep you under that hypnotic spell. I'll carry you away with me and you will serve me in all kinds of evil, nefarious ways. So they hurry away. Well, night is falling. The fire in the hearth sparks into fresh life. The door, the panel alongside the hearth, it opens... And out steps this young laird again. He's all, you know, he's all literally, you know, just bones and bits of muscle and tissue wound around them and so forth. And the goggling, uh, bulging eyeballs and his skull's eye sockets. And he says, where are you? Where are you, my darling Siobhan? I can't wait to get my skin back on this evening as we spend another loving night together in the warm glow of the... In the warm glow of the... What's that I see in the warm glow of the fire? There she lies, Siobhan, quite unconscious. Or is it worse? Is it worse? Yes, it is worse because he feels for a pulse. There is no pulse. She feels to him quite, quite dead. Oh, Siobhan, what has happened to you? What has the glacial done to you? He can't understand. The door is still locked. How did the glacial work this evil deed? That little, that little pin in her finger, in her little pinky finger, it is so thin, he does not even notice it. It's the thinness of a hair. He doesn't notice that it's stuck there, so he doesn't understand. Oh, my love. Oh, my Siobhan. Oh, these nights I've spent, they've been the happiest nights I've spent in my life. He cradles her inanimate. He cradles her dead form there in the skittle arms, there in the warm glow of the fire. He says, my love, I fell utterly in love with you. I can never love another as I loved you there. I love you, I love you now, now that I've lost you. Now I realise how much I loved you. I loved you to the reddest depths of my heart's blood. I love you, I love you, I love you. And on this last cry of I love you, Crack, crack, crack. Fissures run through the fabric of the old building. Dust and plaster starts to rain down from the ceiling. He cries out one more time. I loved you to the deep, deep, deepest blood of my heart. I love you, I love you, I love you. And crash, the whole building falls away beneath them. Falls away, falls away on every side. They tumble, tumble, tumble down through a cloud of dust. They hit the ground below. Crash, bang, wallop. The whole house has collapsed. A great cloud of grey dust rising every which way. And the mists of the moor are slowly blown aside. Blown aside, blown aside by a gathering wind. Blowing across the moor, a wind that blows all the mist away, wisp by wisp, wisp by wisp, until there is no mist left in the moor. Till there is only, there you can see it, there see it in the plain, clear, sharp moonlight, sharp as, as it were, a pin. The wreckage of the fallen, tumbled house, of its fallen beams and girders and bricks. 
and its crashed and splintered glass. And there amid all that ruination and rubble, there he, he kneels, still cradling in his arms. The woman he loved, the woman he loved, he knew at last when he lost her, loved to the very deeps of his heart's blood. There he is with Siobhan in his arm, that handsome young laird. His beautiful pale skin and his beautiful blonde hair glowing in the moonlight. For he has regained his skin. He has regained his beautiful blonde hair. He is a handsome young man once again. For the curse now is ended entirely. He can feel it. He can feel it in the many tinglings of the pores of his skin. The love he voiced at that final tragic moment there, craving Siobhan in his arms, it broke the spell once and for all because what he felt at that moment was not the superficial love of a one cosy night in bed, a, a one night stand, even what he felt the second night. This was true, absolute, eternal love, felt to the deepest, deepest, deepest bubblings of his heart's blood. It has ended the curse once and for all. He is now a handsome laird once and for all. But, but what good does it do him? What good? For Siobhan still lies here, in his arms, inanimate. Unstirring, not a pulse, not a breath about her, seemingly quite, quite dead. But what can he do but carry her away? In a nearby village he seeks a craftsman to make him a beautiful glass coffin. A glass coffin lined with gold trimmings. And he lays what seems to be, yes, the dead body of Siobhan. In the glass coffin, of course, he's still not seen that, that little hair, thin needle sticking out of her pinky finger. He's not noticed that. And he closes the glass lid and he has the glass coffin transported far away. Far away to where he begins a new life in a, a whole other town far, far away at the other end of the highlands. And he gets a new home for himself, a grand home, and he lives there a very solitary life. Keeping there, tucked away under his bed, the glass coffin, and at moments when no one else is around. He pulls out the glass coffin and there he looks upon the beauty, the still perfect beauty of young Siobhan. And he says, oh Siobhan, my love for you, the love you inspired in me, it lifted the curse from me. But little good it did me. But still I owe you so much I will treasure your beauty forevermore. But then of course, you know, some servant will come to the door with his uh, cup of hot chocolate or whatever, you know, his, or his nightcap or whatever, and he will have to slide the glass coffin away under the bed because it's not really the done thing to be keeping a, a dead woman in a glass coffin under your bed. Some people might think it's a little bit um, unsavoury. So life goes on and in due course, well... He had thought that he could never, never love another woman. But then there comes into his life uh, another beautiful young woman, a beautiful young woman with rich raven black hair. A woman called Morag. And well, she's very, very different from Siobhan. She's beautiful in her own way and well, he's, 
He's come to the conclusion that I've spent too many nights mooning, mooning desolately over a, a dead body in a glass coffin. It's time I started a relationship with a living woman. So, you know, he starts courting Morag, beautiful, beautiful Morag, and she, she's a grand lady. She brings with her um, uh, two young servants, um, two young women called Anne and Agnes. Anne and Agnes, if you or me could see her, they might look rather reminiscent of the, the aforementioned Senga and Sue. But, of course... Um, the young laity never saw Senga and Sue, so he's none the wiser. Yes, Morag has these two servants. Yes, let's call them, for the time being, Anne and Agnes. They wait upon her. And, you know, she, she is courted by the young laird and she's happy to reciprocate. And before long, they get married. They get married and they retire to his grand house. Take up residence as the new man and wife. Um, in that grand bedroom there, with a, another fine four-poster bed. And of course, he's very discreet, of course, about um, the, the glass coffin containing his previous love, tucked neatly away under the bed. You, you wouldn't want to mention that to your, your new wife, of course. It might be slightly off-putting. There might be grounds for divorce. So he doesn't mention that to Morag. But anyway, there comes a day um, he's gone out hunting, gone out deer hunting on the high hills. And Morag there, she's sort of grooming her lovely raven black hair there at the dressing table, looking at herself. She she loves uh, looking at herself in the three mirrors there at the dressing table. And behind her, uh, Anne and Agnes, they're doing a bit of dusting round the bedroom. And um, Agnes notices something. Uh, mistress, uh, mistress, she says, there's, there's something here under the bed. And Morag says, well, that's curious. She's... She's quick to be suspicious. She reaches under the bed. She draws out. <gasps> well, well, well. What is this? What is this? It is a glass coffin. And in the glass coffin, oh, she's very beautiful. Perfect indeed in her beauty. But it's a dead young woman. Oh, she says he's keeping another woman on the side. Well, dead or not. I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the look of it even more. So, well, well, well. When he comes back and wants this sort of, you know, when I'm, 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 I'm out, you know, I'm out visiting with my friends, and he, I don't want him dragging this glass coffin out from under the bed. Next time he tries that, he'll find nothing under the bed. Come, come, Anne and Agnes, let's carry this glass coffin and its contents outside. Outside, yes, out in the backyard. Let's build a a pyre. Let's get some woods together, nice dry wood, so it'll light nicely. Yes, pile it up, pile it up, pile it up. Yes, and uh, uh, let's put the glass coffin up on top. Yes, yes, and uh, this must be some witch who cast a spell on my husband. Let's do what we do to witches. Let's, yes, Anne and Agnes, set light. Set light to the wood underneath the glass coffin and its contents. Set light, set light, so the, the, the light the matches... Like they're tinder sticks and they set fire. They set fire to the wood underneath the glass coffin in which Siobhan lies. Quite inanimate and unable to defend herself. And the flames rise and the flames rise and the flames rise and the, the heat haze that billows out towards the onlooking Morag and Anne and Agnes. Billows out towards them all, makes their, their eyes weep and Anne and Agnes have to wipe, the, 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 wipe their watering eyes and as they wipe their watering eyes they... They see there in the 
the warm glow of the rising flames as they rise burning branch by burning branch up toward that figure lying in the glass coffin. They almost get a feeling that they have seen that figure somewhere before, haven't they? Haven't they? They, they blink, they blink harder. No, oh, the sparks are flying in their eyes. They have to wipe their eyes harder. And wiping their eyes harder, they, they start to realise because over all this time, so for as long as they can remember, they've never actually blinked. It's as if they've been under some kind of spell that prevented them blinking their eyes. Of course, blinking your eyes is very healthy for your eyes. They have not blinked. Uh, other servants would remark on the fact that Anne and Agnes never blinked. Now with the heat haze and, the, uh, and the, the rising of the smoke and the sparks flying at them, they have blinked. And as they blink, their eyes clear and they realise that figure lying still quite inanimate in the glass coffin. That's... That's our sister. That's Siobhan. Do you see, uh, uh, what's your name? Agnes? No, no, you, 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 your name's Senga, isn't it? And Anne looks at Agnes and says, well, no, no, what are you talking about? You, 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 uh, my, my name's, my name's, I can't remember my name. Wait, wait, I can remember my name. Suddenly it comes back to me. My name's Sue. Yes, my name's Sue and your name's Senga. And we were supposed to be... Last thing I can remember, we were uh, we were scrubbing floors and washing dishes, and then a figure came in the window, and then I can't remember anything after that until until a moment ago when I blinked my eyes and uh, looked up there and saw our sister Siobhan there in that glass coffin, that glass coffin that all the flames are rising towards. Yes, the spell is broken. The spell is broken. They are not Anne and Agnes anymore. They are Senga and Sue. And they see their sister, the flames are rising towards the bottom end of the glass coffin. What can they do? Well, they take a deep breath, they scramble up one little bit of, of the, the branches that the flames have not yet caught. Scramble up, and the flames are coming close to the suit and the smoke. <coughs> and they must get up to the top. Oh, they must open the coffin. They must open the coffin. They, they, they open the coffin. <laughs> there is their sister Siobhan get up Siobhan get out of the coffin quick the flames the smoke the sparks they're rising towards us we have to get clear Siobhan does not move because the spell's still upon her but here's the thing Senga and Sue unlike our young hero well, they have an eye for detail women tend to have more of an eye, eye for detail than men do they not and they spot they spot it is gleaming reflecting the fiery light gleaming glinting in the fiery glow that little thin thread of a needle sticking out of the pinky finger of young Siobhan on impulse they pull that out <laughs> and Siobhan wakes up wakes up and coughs because the flames and the smoke are rising towards <laughs> the, the, the flames the smoke the sparks are all around them they're right up the top of the pyre like the, up the very top of the pile of wood the last bit of, of the pile of wood that has not yet caught flame how can they get down they'll have to leap they have to leap they leap they leap together hand in hand they take one another's hand and they leap over the tops of the flames the hems of their scuts, of course, catch light, but they, they drop down and they roll on the ground. They roll in the dust and they roll in the dirt and they extinguish the flame. <laughs> the three sisters are a bit 
A bit sooty, uh, a bit smeared with soot and uh, a bit charred at the edges, but they are free and they are alive and all spells that have been cast upon them are broken. What are you doing? What are you doing, says the imperious Morag standing over them. What are you doing? You, my servants, Anne and Agnes, what, what, don't call yourself Sengan Suno, remember? Look in my eyes, look in my eyes. Uh, my, my, your names are Anne and Agnes, and you are my servants. You obey my every command, you do whatever I tell you to do. You say whatever I tell you to say, as it's always been between us. Now, 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 never mind the Sengan Suno nonsense. Look into my eyes, look into my eyes, and you'll know where you stand once again. Look into my eyes, look into my eyes. And Siobhan, already wide awake, Siobhan can see what's happening. A spell has been cast upon her sister. She can't allow that to happen. She leaps up from the ground. She gives Morag an almighty thwack. A punch in the face, smack in the fizzog, and Morag reels back. How dare you? How dare you, says Morag. Don't you realise what a grand lady I am? Don't you realise what a grand lady I am? I command you, hold on. Hold on, says Siobhan. There's something about you, grand lady. You must be putting on your makeup very thick, for look, there's a, there's a proverbial crack in your pancake. Look, 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 here. Look in the, the mirror that your, your servants always have to carry about so you can admire your reflection at any moment. Look in this mirror here, this little hand mirror. There's a great crack going down the middle of your face. Oh, what do you mean? Yes, there is a crack. A thin crack right down the middle of Morag's face. Get, uh, get, get away from me. It's just a, yes, it's just my, I put on my makeup. Yes, maybe a wee bit thick, a wee bit thick. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll hurry back to my room. I'll hurry back to my room and I'll, I'll repair my makeup. You meanwhile, I'll get back to being my servants. And Morag turns to run away, but oh, hold on. Her path is blocked. Her path is blocked by the young laird. The, of course, she's still very much a handsome young laird. Skin's still very much uh, back in place. And he says, what's, what's happening here? <gasps> Siobhan, you've wakened up. You got out of the glass coffin. You're alive, my one true love. The woman that I love to the very deepest bubblings of my true heart's blood. You're alive, we're reunited. Hold on, says Morag. Hold on, says Morag. You might love her. You might have kept her in a glass coffin all these years, tucked away under the bed, but you married me, remember? You married me fair and square. She has stuck with me whether you love her or not. But hold on. Hold on, says the young laird. Um, there's a crack down the middle of your face and even more than that. This close to the flames, your face seems to me... I don't mean to make a personal comment, dear wife. But your face seems to be melting. What? 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 what says Morag, feeling about her face and it's true. Her beautiful face. Her beautiful face. Not only is it cracked now, but it's melting. Big globs and globules. What seemed to be melting flesh dribbling and dripping down her face. But it's, don't worry, it's not too horrible, folks. Uh, her face isn't actually melting. It's just wax melting. The wax of the mask that she's wearing. The mask, the wax mask that she put on her face. The wax mask that Siobhan cracked down the middle with her punch. The wax mask that now, because she's got a wee bit too close to the flames, is actually melting, 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 melting. 
And Morag, if Morag, she has turns to get away the other way, but now Siobhan reaches up, she pulls off the cracked and melting mask there beneath. There beneath. Doesn't that awfully look to the young laird? Like the face of the glastig that put a spell, put a curse upon him all this time past. And yes, Sengan Su can confirm that's the woman, that's the woman who, who crawled in the window of the of the kitchen where I was washing dishes. Of the window of the room where I was scrubbing the floors. That's her who put the spell upon us. No, 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 no. Uh, you're making a, a mistake, says Morag. You're making a mistake. She backs away from all of them as they gather upon you. make a mistake. Uh, my name is Morag. My name is Marag. My Morag with lovely black raven hair. I mean, Glastings have green hair, don't they? Look at my lovely black raven hair. But oh, oh, a spark. A spark or two or three or four or five or six. Leaps out of the flames. Sets light to the ends of her black raven black hair. Ooh, the hair starts to burn. Well, quickly, quickly, she saves herself by pulling off the wig for a black wig it is and underneath the black wig there is the green green marsh green hair of a glastig and as she pulls off the wig likewise it reveals her her pointed ears the pointed ears of the fairy folk Ooh, and now she parts her her lipstick lips a bit too much shows the yellow fangs underneath and oh, she backs away another step the hem of her dress catches fire. Oh, my, 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 my skirts are burning, my skirts are burning. She pulls off her skirts, reveals there. The hairy, the grey hairy goat legs and hooves of a glastig. And she turns and she runs away, still smoking and smouldering. She runs away, runs away over the horizon to cause more havoc elsewhere another day. But that is really another story. So anyway, anyway, well, marriage to a glastic who has cast a, a kind of spell upon you, that really doesn't count in a court of law. Um, in a court of law, you really can't marry a, a glastic in the first place. Not legally, it's not legally binding. So once again, our young Laird still, yes, still with the skin intact. No, no bare bones or anything. He's still a handsome young man. He's reunited with his beloved Siobhan. She has been raised from the dead. Well, the glass coffin, of course, that's all cracked and splintered up there in the flames. Who cares? They don't need a glass coffin anymore. What they need is to marry. And they do marry a real marriage, a marriage between loving mortals. Loving mortals who have learned to love one another to the very deepest depths of their heart's blood. So they marry and uh, Senga and Sue, who are once again not Anne and Agnes, but Senga and Sue, uh, uh, they find a, a handsome young husbands from the, uh, the young laird's entourage and they all marry and they all live happily ever after. Because heaven knows, here are three sisters who've endured hardship indeed. Hardship even beyond the terrible hardship of having to wash the dishes. Hardship... Hardship far beyond the hardship of having to mop the floors. Here, yes, was hardship indeed. And has made mature and loving woman of them. And as mature, loving woman, yes, wouldn't you know it? Our three sisters live happily and lovingly ever after. <laughs>